how is, how are you guys going to edit this? Are we going to go a topic and then revisit? Edit. This is live. <laughs> this is live. <laughs> this is live. We're in, we're in trouble. I got to watch my uh, expressions. <laughs> no, no, that's the point. <laughs> Welcome to the first episode of Avec IO. In this episode, we will be discussing heating and cooling in our homes. We are joined today by Steve Capon of Harvest Heating and Air Conditioning and Derek Quam of Avec Design Build. Thanks, fellas, for joining us today. Thanks, Adam. Glad to be here. Steve, why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit about your background with Harvest? Uh, I started Harvest 23 years ago, something like that. I've been doing this for 37 years. I was originally employed and got into the trade uh, working for my father and his partner and decided to go out on my own after 12 years. So I'm the renegade son who uh, became my father's competitor. Um. I have a master's in HVAC mechanical. I don't know. I've never paid any attention to what the <laughs> title is. Well, it used to be divided up into three, refrigeration, oh, okay. um, sheet metal, and uh, hydronics. And I was a master in each of those. And then they just blobbed it all blobbed it all together into, into one. Do they combine those together, assuming that they're just related enough that anyone pursuing that degree would be going down each one of those paths well essentially the 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 differences in the trades when you go down in your basement and look at your furnace you see there's duct work right which we would characterize as the sheet metal or installation side and then the other half of the business is service so not every service guy is uh going to be acquainted with we'll say boiler uh or chiller type approaches for heating and cooling but um um uh, they married all three into one, so it doesn't necessarily mean if you have a journeyman's license in mechanical that you know what you're doing with refrigerant or yeah. mechanical. It's much better than it was. Electricians have been highly organized with licensing for decades, and HVAC, this was a, something that, I don't know, in 2012, 2014, something like that, the state finally moved to um, pull HVAC under, you know, under a licensing authority, so... Well, the idea was that what fundamentally what was at work was uh, there were guys that grew weary of Joe Blow with a pickup truck and a screwdriver calling himself a furnace man. Mm -hmm. So there was an attempt to uh, rein in some of that. And most of the guys in our trade have regretted it, uh, regretted it horribly. Well, it didn't it didn't eliminate uh, didn't eliminate the guy with the pickup and the screwdriver. Because they, in the beginning, they grandfathered everybody. Uh, so a lot of people got licenses that perhaps weren't, oh, you know, well, necessarily. Because mm, uh, they, well, they didn't investigate, you sure. know, every every claim. They took people at their word. So, hmm. but with time, obviously, it's going to tighten up, you know. Oh, and okay. so the requirements uh, to have a license, because you can't pull a permit if you don't have a master's license. So if oh, you okay. have just a journeyman, you can't. 
you know, you can't pull a license or a pull a permit. So at one point or at some point, things will start to weed out is what you're I, getting I believe at. so. Hmm, I believe so. And there's, you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with a guy yeah. with a screwdriver and a pickup as long as he knows what he's doing, right. you know, and, and that's the weeding out part. Right. You know, the idea wasn't that uh, we're going to stop small shops. The idea was that we're going to try to get, raise the level of education within the industry. Which is exactly what we're trying to do today. Yeah. That's there why we're go. here. There you go. Yeah. That's, <laughs> Put a little a, uh, learning, a learning for the learning for the homeowner. Right. This is a great segue. And, and we've just been thinking about all of what we're trying to accomplish here at right. EVEC and how we're trying to bring all these pieces together and just even referring to buildings as these complex organisms and just right. stuff that's complicated to bring together. And, and there's a lot of room for error. There's a lot of room for success. And that's where we're trying to nail in on some yeah. of these things. So topically, we'd like to just talk today on some things that are normally confusing to homeowners, to just even us, right. and with somebody who, who's got some... Well, the, fundamentally, the goal that I've always had, you know, once I moved from the field to trying to sell things, is to eliminate, eliminate the element of magic from the idea of heating and cooling your home. It's much easier to make an informed decision about uh, uh, what type of system you're going to utilize in your new home or your addition or your retrofit to your existing home if you have the information and if you're actually given the opportunity to weigh what type of system would be best for you rather than a light item uh, in the uh, new home budget or the construction budget. We've budgeted X you know, for heating and cooling rather than letting the end user have a, an opportunity to select and to do the cost value, you know, or the benefit value. What is it? Value benefit equation. What is it? Yeah, that's it. Cost, (laughs) cost benefit analysis. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Yeah. So um, as we look through maybe some of these topics that we'll get into, uh, you know, maybe the, the headline of all of these things is, it's kind of a, I don't know, maybe an elusive one, or it's something that's, it's it's pretty general. But you know, it's it's something that kind of it, it just makes me wonder when you when you're brought into a project, where do you begin thinking about what the overall objective of your role in this particular project would be, and just analyzing this, we'll call it a house for the sake of discussion mm-hmm. in this particular uh, context, I guess. But yeah. How do you establish what your goal is for that particular project? Well, first of all, you want to talk with the homeowner. You know, and if it's a if it's an existing structure, you want to establish if you have areas of the house that don't heat or cool well. You know, and whether or not they want to try to fix that. And you know, like we had spoken earlier, annex a space that we just can't use that room in the winter because it's too cold. Mm-hmm. You know, and if if it if it's a, a doable grab to reach out and, and get adequate ventilation or or heat or cooling whatever the type of system is into that space so they can have it so i want to establish what does the homeowner want Mm. you know from the system um and try to get a feeling for how the system behaves because i can do all the load calculations on the planet determine exactly what the uh, cooling or heating requirement is for the home but if the house was built in 1918 and there's one heat run going to the second floor and that's it right 
now we have to we have to account for that you know you talk as though that's a real life situation that you've encountered well it is i, I think he's talking yeah. about my house yeah oh, okay <laughs> well it, it's it's the deal where your house might be a, a, a three-ton load and you only have a two-ton air conditioner on it okay but a ton and a half of that load is from the second floor and we only have the ability to put a half ton of capacity up there because the ductwork is inadequate. Typically, in like an older home, and I'm when I say older, I'm talking from we'll say probably 1985 and prior. Right, the habit was to take a heat run to the outside wall, run it up the outside wall, then convert it back to round pipe, and then there's your heat run to the second floor. Okay, well it's all pressure drop. So what happens is the ductwork has run so far that there's nothing left in. We In the end uh, outlet, you've dumped 100 CFM down that pipe, and only 65 is being delivered mm. to that register, and that's just from loss from friction. So it's very common to have to set your thermostat in those homes, with whatever I said, 1985 and prior. You're having to set the thermostat at 68 in the summertime in order to get it to 81 on the second floor. Yeah. So it's things like that. And I want to establish that from the homeowner. How does this home behave? So let me ask in that scenario then, um, is whatever system that's put in place, let's say after 1985, is that at the mercy of the previous runs that are in the house? It it is, or you can, and that's the other thing is, is you, you try to establish the value the customer places on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, would you be willing to give up this corner of this closet and the corner of the closet upstairs so that we could route adequate ductwork sure, you know, sure. to the second floor? Or you try to evaluate it once again, it's a cost cost benefit analysis. It's gonna cost you X amount of dollars, but then suddenly you don't have to set the thermostat to sixty eight degrees in the dead of summer to get it bearable uh-huh. on the second floor. Hmm. That's part of the the difficulty earlier on, even I mean, you're talking almost exclusively now regarding maybe a, a, a remodel or a retrofit type project, but mm-hmm. even in a new construction, dollars have to be allocated and people don't necessarily think about how uh, maybe a, a, a total dollar amount is associated to a system that is meant to keep them cool or warm or comfortable for the longevity of the house, but uh if things aren't allocated correctly, they're not going to certain spaces. They're not necessarily thinking about um, pushing or pulling things, I guess, from a dollar perspective or maybe, I don't know, from a complexity standpoint to actually capitalize on those spaces. It, it, that's it, We've just seen that as making sure that we're allocating effort and dollars appropriately, I guess, for the longevity of the project, not just from an upfront standpoint. I mean, that's in that, in that part of educating the homeowner, you know, where I'm trying to interview them and find out what their needs are, where they're valued. And this is, uh, it's going to be true for new construction where we're in the planning phase, right. Is trying to persuade them that what we are installing is what we would characterize as part of the skeleton of the home. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you can get them to value spend the money on the skeleton it's going to uh, provide huge benefits long term in terms of comfort where your house is is comfortable regardless of what floor or what room you're in and getting them to recognize that value and perhaps 
as we spoke earlier, uh, forego the $900 faucet uh, if you're in, in a budget crunch and maybe apply some of these things that will, will produce a long-term dividend. Then when you're not cash poor, building the house as the budget begins to drift away, you can always replace the faucet later. Mm. But the skeleton, the ductwork, the in-floor heating or whatever type of system it is, we're not going to get back to that. It's all going to be covered up. Right. right. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of this plays into um, this I mean, everything that we've talked about so far has had some comment related to dollars associated mm-hmm. to it. And and one thing that I think about is how do we arrive at some sort of a cost-effective rationale that makes sense up front, that people can understand, visualize, but then also even be able to forecast 10 or 15 years down the road to understand the thing that they've bought themselves from day one rather than the $900 faucet that could have been installed after year three when they had a little bit more cash in their pocket. Right. Well, I mean, a budget is always a consideration. You know, there's there's no free lunch. Um, and like I've said, in, in educating the customer, then they can decide, you know, let's, let's bite the bullet and go ahead and put the in-floor heat in. Okay, and I use that as an example we were talking previously is, uh, persuading people to to go with in floor heat in a basement because it immediately annexes the square footage and the space is comfortable rather than a semi heated cave with space heaters everywhere, you know you're you're handicapping your experience uh, because you don't have very good temperature control in the in the basement, and I've had never had one person regret that money being spent and some have regretted we should have just bit the bullet and put in floor heat everywhere mm-hmm. right the only way you get to that place is if you get a homeowner that's going to take an interest in how this house uh, behaves because the deal is comfort is 100 uh, percent a subjective experience mm-hmm. if you get an older uh older customer who and this actually happened to us we replaced an old oil burner in a farmhouse with a high efficiency furnace back in the advent of of when high efficiency furnaces came along and the old oil burner put out 180 degree air you would burn your feet on the heat registers if you stepped across them Mm -hmm. or you could cook a hot dog right (laughs) over over the heat register okay in this particular case they didn't want that (laughs) well no in this particular case that was this man's perception of comfort was to be blown away by a wall of heat blown away by a wall of heat twice an hour in the new furnace right what we're trying to do in in modern approach is try to track and sit on top of the set point so if it's set set at 72 we want it to hover at 72 as opposed to dropping to 69 then flywheeling to 74 but if the perception is comfort is being blown away by a wall of heat it's it's going to be a difficult uh, needle to thread because everybody's perception of comfort is different. It sounds silly, but it's true. We wound right. up taking out the high efficiency furnace, which only had 120 degree air, and putting an oil burner right back in. Wow! <laughs> yeah, it was, it was the perception of comfort. Now this was in an old farmhouse with an older gentleman who's, but that's what that's what comfort was to him was 180 degree air. You know, just about driving him out of the room. And then freezing before it kicked back on. Let that carry you for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> exactly. <Wow. laughs> exactly. So it's, you try to establish what somebody's perception of comfort is, you know. But most people with the in-floor heat, because it is so stable, right, 
I mean, we run into the same thing with people with old radiators. Oh, we don't want those old clunky radiators. Well, hydronic heat is just about as comfortable a system as you can get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the reason being after the thermostat is satisfied, we'll say it's set at 70, the room temp comes to 70, you still have a 180-degree, 500-pound piece of cast iron slowly radiating, okay, mm-hmm. giving up, continuing to give up the heat and reducing the 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 drop in room and space temperature slows it way down, so you just hover right on your mm. right on your set point. Mm. And you don't have air blowing in your face either. That's right. You know, I mean, forced <laughs> air. Yeah, yeah. And forced air has a tendency to produce a, a drafty sensation. So, as I said previously, the 180 wow. degree air versus 120 degree air. The 120 degree air, and he sat right on his set point. I mean, there wasn't any problem there. But the 120 degree air felt drafty mm. to him. Mm. Interesting. One of the one of the things we talk about, or I've heard coming from some of the owners of of homes as we've worked through systems, and just maybe just a, from a schematic standpoint, is uh, I, I hear people tend to say that radiant will make them feel dry, and uh, <coughs> it's not it. It doesn't. I, I don't know what it's being associated to. But what do you what do you have to say? I guess related to a radiant well here's the deal this is and it, this is the the other thing you know as, as people listen to this podcast you know they're going to be uh, drinking from a two-inch fire hose and trying to sip okay <laughs> one of the things that complicates that is there's a lot of um what i characterize as old wives physics involved okay <laughs> doesn't it doesn't matter what your heat source is it will neither make the air more humid or less humid okay people want to talk about there's a term called wet heat okay well wet heat uh, depending upon how you're looking at it could be because you're using hot water coursing through radiators okay but it does not dry the air out Mm -hmm. humidity is relative and we measure it in grains per pound of air Okay, so even on your furnace, you're pulling 70 degree air. I'm just going to pull numbers out that are easy to understand. If you have 10 grains of moisture per pound of air going into the furnace at 70 degrees, okay, it passes through the heat exchanger. The air is warm to 120, which lowers its relative humidity briefly. Then as that air is... uh, mixed with the indoor air of the space you know and drops back to 70 degrees it's still 10 grains of moisture per pound of air that has not been altered you've altered the relative humidity and what is relative humidity means the amount of moisture that the air uh, can hold without condensing okay so 70 degree point dew point is it plays a part yes it does 70 degree air will hold let's say without condensing if you're at 99.9 percent humidity it might hold 100 grains of moisture per pound of air Mm -hmm. okay if we lower that temperature in the space to 60 degrees that same 100 grains per pound of air is is going to begin to condense on every surface Mm -hmm. of the house that's what happens with with windows, when the humidity level is too high in your home during the winter, mm-hmm. the surface of the glass is cold enough where that moisture then begins to condense out. Mm-hmm. So relative humidity describes the amount of moisture that can safely be carried in the air, okay, without condensation. 
and human comfort just for the fun of it the human comfort zone is anywhere from 30 to 60 percent okay so in the winter time 30 percent is going to be on the low end of the comfort level that's where you're waking up with a dry nose maybe a sore throat if you get below that temperature but we're inhibited by the outdoor temperature the colder the temperature outside the less humidity we can safely put into the air but that's a separate device independent of whether you have boiler heat or forced air okay two different two different creatures we haven't altered uh the amount of moisture that's uh delivered to the air right so i suppose openings in a home would play into that some too as far as uh losing humidity through windows or is that not well not necessarily windows but as a like in a brand new home with new seals okay Mm -hmm. on all the doors all the openings new seals on the windows okay the house gets very tight um and that means it's not breathing as much Mm -hmm. okay we'll say 0.125 air changes per hour total cubic footage of the home right is we'll say if um, once again these are easy numbers thousand cubic feet in the space okay and if you have a reasonably tight space we'll say it's at 0.2 air changes per hour so 0.2 of a thousand cubic feet that air is leaking around windows doors any cracks or breaches in the integrity of the envelope okay so if you have an old house you're probably going to want to uh to add a humidifier okay and if you have a really tight house, you may have the opposite problem where you have uh, too high an accumulation of moisture and then mm-hmm. it begins to, to sweat, make your windows sweat, mm-hmm. where you have water vapor accumulating um, on the interior of the window and then running down and, and mm-hmm. dripping. In that case, then we have to pull in outdoor air to, assuming winter time. You know, that's, that's the time where you're going to add humidity or humidity can accumulate. Then you would uh, go the opposite direction and try to uh, eliminate that accumulation of humidity. When that 10 degree air is sneaks into the house and is then warmed to 70 degrees, that 50% relative humidity now becomes about 4% relative humidity. And I'm pulling these. I don't have a psychrometric chart in front of me. I'm just telling you, once the air is warmed up, uh, to 70 degrees from 10 degrees, mm-hmm. right? It's going to have a drying effect on the home because it was 50% relative humidity at 10 degrees. 10 degree air won't hold very much moisture. 70 degree air will. So it has a drying effect. And that's exactly how we, we uh, 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 try to ameliorate the issue of too much humidity in the home. Hey, my windows are sweating. What are we going to do? The cheapest way is to uh, introduce some outdoor air when the furnace turns on. I'm sure our listeners are pulling up a psychometric chart (laughs) right now on Google as they're listening. Yeah, the psychometric chart is all about all about (laughs) all about moisture. It's not about not about anything uh, psychological. So, (laughs) so yeah, you were talking about dehumidification and humidification and all of Mm -hmm. these things. I'm assuming. You've got in mind how that how that is best done, and how would you how do you address D or non 
humidification, I guess. Or humidification. Well, dehumidification or humidification. Now, in the summertime, we want to dehumidify. We're in a climate zone where we have a significant amount of moisture. And you do air. that by those plug-in units, probably, that you scatter all the way around the room, around rooms? Or how do you do that? De- dehumidify? Yeah. Well, it, it depends. Like, if it's in your basement, you're trying to dehumidify, because that's a whole, we could go long on that. Right. Yep. On, on that. But let's, let's do that. If well, <laughs> well, if you have air conditioning, your dehumidification is a function of runtime. So the, the air conditioner running. That's right. right. So the bigger not air conditioner is you're doing outside. That's right. Yeah, it's a function of runtime, not running the machine time, okay. not exercise. So it goes like this: it's a function of runtime. So if your house, we do a load calculation, we determine you need three tons of cooling capacity. And I've had people who, hey, I want to really cool this place down. I want to hang meat. Let's go put a five-ton in. Okay, so we put a five-ton in, which is whatever percentage larger than the three-ton that we calculated as the load. The problem is it pulls the temperature down so quickly, right? There are insufficient number of air passes over the refrigerated air coil. So we don't remove the moisture. So you wind up with a cave-like effect. Cold and damp. Cold and damp, yeah. And in, in most restaurants are not properly done. They do a tremendous amount of exhaust for the kitchen. Mm. So everybody's felt it. You've walked into a restaurant and it's 70 degrees, but it feels clammy. Mm-hmm. Right? That's too much cooling or too much outdoor air sneaking in. Mm. Okay? In, the, in, the, in our, in our uh, example of the guy wanting five tons so he can cool it down really quick, the problem is... It doesn't dehumidify. It does not pull the moisture out. It snaps you down to set point. We'll say 72 degrees cooling. Snaps you down there so quickly that you don't get the moisture pulled out of the air and you wind up with that effect. You, you get this clammy, close feeling or the table kind of feels mm-hmm. wet if you uh-huh. rest your arm on it. And I use, the, I use restaurants as an example because most of them are not balanced properly. So they're pulling in a bunch of outdoor air that sneaks in when you open the door, yeah. you know, a thousand cubic feet of air rushes in. It's very humid. The equipment's big enough to, to keep the temperature from going up, but that moisture remains in the air. So everybody's had that experience. It's the same experience where you get when you go down in your basement in the summertime mm-hmm. where people want to run a dehumidifier down there because it feels clammy. And the interesting thing is the absolute moisture content. If your basement is in free communication if the air is in within free communication with the rest of the house those grains per pound are identical there is not more moisture in the air in the basement it's the fact that the basement is typically six to eight degrees cooler than the main floor Mm -hmm. that raises the relative humidity and the relative humidity is what we are going to respond to in terms of comfort which is why in some scenarios, it may as crazy as it may sound, on, there's been houses that we've worked on where there's a lot of stratification or there's a lot of opportunity for, for air temperature to change a lot, knowing that humidity, absolute humidity throughout the whole thing, the whole house is going to be the same. You're saying, hey, in the summertime, we may actually introduce some heat here so that it doesn't feel clammy because we know it's going to be six to eight degrees cooler than maybe the top level would be. That right. that's correct, and that that has to do with the fact that the uh, basement is underground. Right. So it's not. It it thinks it's sixty eight degrees outside. Mm-hmm. Okay. Even when it's ninety nine degrees uh, outside, mm-hmm. whereas the frame wall, the portion of the house that's above uh, the basement, is exposed to the ninety five degree heat. So the load is on that portion of the house, but because the basement is 
is uh, below grade. It's not exposed to that heat. So the temperature naturally in the basement is going to stay six to eight degrees cooler. That means that that 10 grains per pound of, of moisture that yields a 60% relative humidity on the main floor, which is pretty comfortable. When you go into the basement, that 60% relative humidity now jumps to 74% because the basement is 6 to 8 degrees cooler. Mm. Warmer air can hold more moisture. Okay, Cooler air can hold less and uh, uh, before condensation. So what's happening, you mentioned dew point earlier. When you go down into the basement or in a clammy environment, what that means is you are much closer. The environment is much closer to dew point, mm -hmm. and you get that clammy. And that, that clammy feeling, uh, the RH means it suppresses the evaporation of sweat from your body, and that suppressed evaporation right means that the, the accumulation of that sweat stays on your skin, and it starts to feel clammier. It does not evaporate hmm. as quickly. So I'm, I'm thinking of listeners who may be taking all of this in and thinking about how all of this, the, the cost-effective rationale and in all of this, it really becomes important to analyze, as you were just talking about at the, when we started, analyzing the usage of all of these spaces. If it's a basement that you know you're not going to be using, then maybe you don't invest that extra money. I, I think of the systems that we did incorporate, a, um, a setup where we could have multiple things running in different uh, in a different state where we could introduce heat into a below ground situation in the middle mm -hmm. of summer mm -hmm. because the rest of the house is, is cooling to where it needs to be. But the one particular room where people may be congregating could be subcooling, freezing you out or getting too clammy. Right. Right. You have that clammy sensation. So let's say we've, the customer wants in floor heat. Okay, in the basement because they want to use that space. They could conceivably run the in-floor heat during the summer. Don't run a dehumidifier. Right. Okay, all we got to do is raise the temperature up so you're not freezing down in that basement. Raise the temperature to 72 degrees, and the dew point and RH both drop to a level where it matches main floor to uh, to basement. I'm just trying to visualize all of this as people are listening to it and saying, why, would, why in the world would I ever want to introduce heat when I'm trying to cool the, cool the rest of the house down? But I could conceive that it may actually be more efficient than trying to run a dehumidifier at, I mean, the electric rate of whatever you're running a dehumidifier at, that's as right. opposed to running a furnace for just a little bit to bring it up a couple degrees, right? That, that's right. That's right. Now, the curious thing about a dehumidifier is the dehumidifier kicks does, in fact, heat. kicks <laughs> off heat. Yeah. Right. Because what happens is, well, I'm just going to use, once again, nice even numbers. You could be doing 10,000 BTUs of refrigerating to pull the moisture out, okay? Then the humidifier has to reject the heat back to the airstream so it's not blowing out this freezing cold air, and it uh, then reheats the air, but you get more heat from an air conditioner, which is all a dehumidifier is. You get more heat from an air conditioner than you get cooling capacity. Yeah. So what happens is it's producing 12,500 BTUs of heating capacity, and it's producing 10,000 BTUs of uh, cooling capacity. So the air that's coming out of the dehumidifier is slightly, slightly warmer. Can you speak to people's understanding as you've seen it? You know, when you talk about in-floor heat with a with a client or a customer. It, 
is there a normal response, you know, that they interpret in-floor heat as something for their feet versus being a, a source of radiant heat for the home? Well, the, the issue is they do make floor warming uh, floor warming systems, like they say have a large master suite with tile, and you don't want the mm-hmm. thermal shock to your feet when you're getting up in the morning to go take a shower. You can get devices that essentially warm the floor at about 87, 88 degrees, somewhere in there. So that's um, different than what you're talking about. Floor here. warming okay. would be different than okay. space heating within floor heat. Okay, we just did a job where the guy wanted uh, in the master suite. It's a large master suite. They have floor warming there. It's not the primary source of heat, uh, but it's contributing, right? It, it is contributing. The, the amount of heat is not negligible. I mean, it's adding heat, but but, it, but it's it's would still then get some assist from the forced air system. In this case, they have a forced air system for the house. But when you walk into the bathroom in the middle of the night, the floor is warm. Mm -hmm. Then on the other side of the boiler, the entire garage is being heated via the floor. So the garage itself is, is doing two different things with the same system. But the primary source of heat, only source of heat in the garage, happened to be the in-floor heat and then it we slaved all that infrastructure to produce the floor warming effect Mm. in the master suite quite a bit to chew on huh it is well it's it's like i said i mean you wouldn't think how can there be that much to even talk about i mean there i I could have taken us down 15 different garden paths when we're talking about i think i've been on those roads (laughs) yeah on the design on the design and when you're trying to decide what you want to do right you know yeah, I just think of even just projects that we've got coming up and thinking about, okay, how do we how do we convey a lot of this information to people and put it, you know, it, it comes down to me trying to think about these things in a meeting, maybe while we're talking about their kitchen sink or the views that they're going to have and how we're doing window arrangements and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Or we could, you know, putting it in a platform here where they could take it in bite-sized pieces and, mm-hmm. and think about, okay, this really is an important decision that I need to not glance over and not just assume okay well what do i normally how to how to well the the differentiator between avex uh design philosophy or your total approach to how you're doing it is vastly different than most home builders or people who are involved in home building they're leaning toward you got a furnace and air conditioner what's the problem where you're, where a, a skilled tradesman is is sheltered from the homeowner, where the homeowner isn't even being, doesn't even have the opportunity to select, right? You know, and given that it's the skeleton, right? They'll they'll they're front and center when it comes to selecting countertops and mm-hmm. and uh, faucets, but when it comes to the skeleton about how how they want their home to behave and what they value. It's a line item on the budget. We have budgeted X, and now we're going to go out and try to find a contractor who can fit the budget. Kind of a necessary evil. A necessary evil. That's right. That's exactly it. And everybody, have, virtually everyone has the experience of a HVAC system that is not quite mm-hmm. doing what it should do. Mm-hmm. If the furnace man has been hired to heat the house, why is this room so cold? You know, mm-hmm. and that's why I say that it's a, a you guys have a unique approach where you're opening the door to options mm-hmm. so that people can find out what is available. Yeah. You know, to hear the continuation of this series, listen to episode two of Avec IO.
Avec.io is a production of Avec Design Build, an architect-led design build firm that believes in working alongside every entity involved in a project, as a team, with each other, for the same end goal. Thanks for listening.